Hello and welcome to Chairside, conversations about careers in dentistry. This podcast series from the British Dental Association and sponsored by BDJ Jobs explores the unlimited, unexpected and maybe even unknown opportunities that qualifying as a dentist opens up to you. I'm Andrea Ogden, a general dental practitioner and the BDA's undergraduate and career development lead. In each episode, I'll be joined by dental professionals who discuss their journey and the paths they took that changed the course of their career. This episode differs from the others in the series because rather than looking at pathways that you can pursue within UK dentistry, my guests today have made the decision to leave UK clinical dentistry entirely. So what's that like? What does it mean when your job that you've studied so long and so hard for no longer feels right to the point that you want out? Or what if personal circumstances mean that it just isn't feasible? How easy is it to leave? And what opportunities are there for a dentist who doesn't want to practice dentistry, or at least dentistry in this country? My guest today can shed a lot of light on this very complex situation. So let's meet them. Today, I'm chairside with Anam Raza and Rachel Hart. Rachel graduated from Leeds in 2009 and spent five years working as an associate before leaving dentistry in 2015 to join Align Technology, where she's now a senior business optimization consultant. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me, Andrea. Really looking forward to it. It's great to have you with us. And I should point out that you are not an aligned spokesperson and you're most certainly not representing anyone other than yourself in our chat today. Perfect. Thank you. Joining us both is Anam Raza. Anam qualified in Cardiff in 2015 and then in 2018 relocated to Canada and is now living in Vancouver and seeking to convert her qualifications so she can work within the Canadian system. Hello, Anam. Hi, Andrea. It's really lovely to be here. Thank you for having me on. It's lovely to have you both with us today. And this is a a very interesting and certainly um, one that I don't think is often talked about topic. Um, I'm really grateful to have you both here to share your personal experiences with us. So, Rachel, I'll start with you. Now, five years as an associate isn't all that long, but clearly you knew that something wasn't right. What was that? And how did you know that leaving clinical dentistry was the right decision? So I think looking back, for me, there there wasn't necessarily a specific moment or event. The way that I suppose I can summarise it now um, is that always being a high achiever academically, naturally you are when you're a dentist. We've all gone through GCSEs and A-levels and then a very hard degree and ticked boxes as we go. And then when I became a dentist, for me, I didn't enjoy the clinical aspect of dentistry. And therefore, I wasn't going on further courses to progress my career. And whilst I know and I appreciate that dentistry can be an amazing career, for me, it wasn't. And in my mid to late 20s, for me, it felt like I was in a dead end job. I think there maybe there were two things that frustrated me. First of all, that I didn't actually enjoy the day to day job. And then second of all, that I felt quite trapped in it, which I suppose only only heightened that. And although the first couple of years 
um, I would say we're okay. You know, it's all quite exciting when you've got your first job, moved down to London, you know, bought a bought a flat, was having a great time going on holidays. I think as the time went on, I feel quite, I suppose, selfish in a way, saying it back. I just felt like that wasn't enough. And having always been quite passionate about what I do, as I said, it just it felt like that my career just wasn't enough for me at that stage. Um, and working Monday to Friday and, and living for the weekend just wasn't fulfilling me. That must have been really difficult to have that, uh, to feel that way. Did you feel that others understood where you were coming from? I mean, did you know anyone else that had gone through the same process? So at the time, no, I didn't. I suppose I spoke to, to friends about it. Um, and I think dentistry as a whole, it's more than just a job or a career. It really feels like it's your whole identity almost. And when I did start to talk about it, the answer that I think I was often met with was, oh, but you're a dentist? Or, oh, what a shame that is. You know, what a waste of, I don't know, I don't think they always put their finger on it, what a waste of time, what a waste of resources. So no, I didn't really have anybody, I suppose, either to look up to or, or to see somebody else who had, who had made that change at the time. So one way I suppose to find out is to go online, start some Googling, but I think typing in change of career dentistry only got me so far. Um, so I went to a day um, in London, which was for doctors looking to change careers. And there was um, a panel of speakers who had all gone and done different things after medicine. And for me, I think there was a sense of relief almost that I was in that room with 200 people and to feel like, okay, although it's not the same, um, although I'm a dentist, they're doctors, I think we can know, broadly speaking, it's a, it's a whole change of career. I felt a bit of relief that there were other people feeling that way. And then also really inspired by the people giving the talks, like, okay, maybe there is something else I can do. And so once you'd seen medics, um, once you'd seen that it was certainly a thing that medics could change their career, what was the process that you went through that resulted in you landing that job with Align Technology? So I think sometimes almost when I say it out loud, it will seem like the steps were quite simple. But at the time, it certainly took me a long time to get there. I think the first thing that I did was take a little bit of time out and um, cut down the days I was working to four days a week, took a long holiday and started to assess, okay, is this, is this a bad day, a bad week, a, you know, a bad month, or actually can I listen to my gut and is it something more than that? And the best thing that I did was... Um, I started to work with a careers advisor who specialised in career changes. And I can remember sitting down for my first session and he said to me, look, my job isn't here to find you a new career. I'll do the work with you for you to, to be able to do that. And I think I was quite disappointed at first um, because I was expecting to sit there and maybe he would come up with some suggestions. But really, we just spent some time looking um, what I was good at, what I enjoyed what mattered to me in life, what motivated me. And he really helped and mentored me through the process. 
which probably was, you know, nine to 12 months. And for me, working with him really set some firm timelines on it. I knew that in 2015, I was going to make a change. And we started to look at lots of different avenues. Um, So, for example, I went to a law firm, did some work experience there. I ended up going to like a, a graduate fair and talking to lots of different industries. And throughout the process with him, we'd spoken quite a lot about staying within the dental industry, but moving more towards a corporate environment. And through that, I'd updated my CV and it was on a recruitment site and Align Technology contacted me through there. So I suppose that end piece sounds like it was quite simple, but there was quite a lot of work to get me there. My CV hadn't just been updated to be, I suppose, attractive to a corporate company and put up online. There'd been lots of steps beforehand to get to that point, but also to rule some other alternatives out. What do you think was the time frame for you between realising that you probably weren't happy being an associate, that actually clinical dentistry might not be the right choice for you, and then you seeing that, was it a careers advisor that you saw? Mm. I think I always knew from the beginning. I think um, I think if I'd listened to my gut a little bit sooner, I probably would have sat down and really thought it through sooner. So probably about two to three years, to be honest with you, of, of feeling that way, but maybe brushing it under the carpet. It's, I mean, it's clearly not a process that happens overnight that uh, takes a, a, you went through a, a real process of thinking and reflecting and then obviously finding a way seeking help, which I think is quite remarkable really when, especially you didn't know anybody else that had done that and you managed to find resources to help you? Yeah, I think it felt like quite a leap of faith at at the time, definitely. I think having some, a group of friends that weren't dentists helped. I think when you graduate from dentistry at a very young age, you're almost propelled into this world of work, possibly into a job better paid and at a higher level than perhaps somebody else of a similar age is. And so I think you can cruise high on that for a couple of years, but then seeing some other friends in different industries almost come up behind me and overtake me, but also be so passionate about their jobs and their careers. Whereas I didn't have that. And I saw them you know, starting to travel the world and started to climb up a ladder and I think I was jealous almost of that piece as well. And I remember when I got my first non-clinical job and it was a real surprise to me that being a dentist gave me transferable skills. And I think that we can often feel that after five years of university, that we've only been taught how to be a clinical dentist and therefore we lack any kind of skills to do any other kind of work. Did you feel that way at all? And what transferable skills did you discover that you had? That's so interesting. I think I definitely felt like that. And maybe that was reinforced when people talk about, oh, but you're a dentist. I suppose you know exactly what being a dentist almost involves practically. But especially working with the careers advisor, when you really start to look at everything that goes on day to day, how many other things you do 
that isn't necessarily the hands-on. So I think there's some really obvious ones, like working well under, under time pressure. You have to build a very quick rapport with such a wide range of people throughout a day. There's definitely some sales and negotiation skills. You're involved in training dental nurses. So I think there's some really obvious ones that I knew at the time. But now when I look back, I think I see some others. Um, and there, there's a couple. The first being, especially as an associate, you're working with nurses and practice managers, for example, that you need to be able to, in your own way, influence and motivate but you don't have authority over them you're not their manager you're not the principal dentist and so it's that whole I suppose leadership without authority piece okay or sorry influencing them without having I suppose true authority sure I think that's a really interesting skill and then the other big one is I didn't realize it at the time but it taught me how to be accountable. And by that, I mean, in work at the moment, I mean, everybody has tough days or tough meetings. I can always take take five minutes out. But when you're a dentist, you don't have that. Like you're seeing patients back to back. If something doesn't turn out, a treatment doesn't turn out the way that you had planned or or that you run late, you take ownership for that, don't you? And how you then conduct yourself throughout the rest of the day and the message that you then convey onto the next patient, you have to totally manage that situation that you may have created yourself. I think now in, in my work, now I see that come through and that, you know, if something unfortunately doesn't turn out the way that we planned, I'll hold my hands up. I would never blame others. And, and hold accountability for my decisions. I think that's that's really true. And actually, you know, that's probably something that I can definitely relate to that I probably hadn't really thought up until now that, you know, you do become a lot more accountable and perhaps you know, not everyone that's had the same experiences dealing with whether it's a difficult extraction or a difficult patient and the buck stops with you, even when you're actually at quite an early point in your career, um, that gives you a tremendous amount of skills, I think, going, going forward. And I can only really imagine, you know, how stressful it must have, have been for you going through that, that process early on. Um, but it's so reassuring to obviously see that it's, it's worked out so well and what you've managed to achieve. And, and um, your situation is very different, Zita Rachel's, because you didn't fall out of love with dentistry. You just fell in love with a Canadian. Um, so you qualified and you got married and moved to Canada. I mean, did you know at that stage if you would be able to practice abroad? Well, I did do a little bit of research, um, obviously Googling, and um, I found out about the NDEB, which is the National Dental Examining Board of Canada. So I um, inquired with a few people. My husband knew a few dentists as well in Canada that had immigrated from other countries. So I spoke to them over the phone and I knew it was an option um, that if I did want to move countries, I am able to practice dentistry. Um, 
that basically did it for me because um, having the experience in the UK and then knowing that I am able to practice dentistry in another country, it was something that I wanted to explore. So um, that's what made me move. (laughs) Sure. So you discovered that Canada, like the United States, doesn't regard UK dental schools as accredited universities like countries such as Australia and New Zealand. Which I remember that really, when I found that out, that really surprised me because like Australia, Canada is a, is a Commonwealth country. Yep. How does the conversion process differ between accredited and non-accredited countries? Yeah, that point about the Commonwealth country, I agree on completely because I don't understand it either, but it is what it is. And um, obviously I found that out and then... I went on the website and I knew that I had to complete a set of exams for me to become a dentist here. And that was something I was willing to do at that point. Um, I do know the difference between the accredited and non-accredited. The differences between them is basically the country that you graduated your dentistry from. So if you graduated from Australia, you graduated from New Zealand, or the United States, you are eligible to practice dentistry in Canada with just doing the board exam. Whereas if you graduated from the United Kingdom, um, our degree isn't accredited in Canada. So we have, so I have to do a couple of exams, um, one being a written exam and then like a clinical judgment type exam and then a practical exam. So I'm still in the process of doing it. Um, it's taking a little bit longer these days due to COVID too because of cancellations and things. But yeah, no, I'm on my way there. Is In terms of taking those exams, is there a lot of preparation that's involved? I mean, do you feel that your UK dental degree has prepared you to sit those conversion exams? Yes, I do find that obviously we've had five years of um teaching in dental school and I do find that the exams are pretty similar to what I've learned back in the UK. Um, In terms of dentistry is dentistry, right? Teeth are teeth. So the things that we need to learn here and the things how you practice it in clinical dentistry here, it's very similar. I think it's just knowing the process and um, understanding how things work here a little bit different in terms of the practical aspect of it and the clinical side of things but in terms of the actual academic side I believe it's pretty similar like it is manageable I wouldn't say it's easy it's a lot of hard work a lot of hours a lot of prep courses um, a lot of time and dedication I've had to spend on um, learning a lot of things Um, but I feel as if the clinical aspect, it's pretty similar. And is it quite competitive getting through these exams? Yes, it is competitive because um, there's a lot of people in the same boat as me um, that have graduated from other countries. Um, I've made a lot of friends and it's kind of nice knowing that people are in the same boat as you trying to um, get accredited. In terms of the actual um, number of people that pass these exams it's pretty common to not pass in your first try Um, it does take a couple of attempts and you're only allowed a maximum of three attempts to pass the exam so you can imagine the amount of stress you have like if you don't pass the first time then you've got extra stress to make sure that you pass second so 
there's always that fear that oh if I don't pass then what's going to happen like I've made such a big sacrifice um and there's so many times where I'm like oh I just want to give up I just don't want to do this anymore but I feel like my passion for dentistry is still there I haven't lost it and I know that I would be able to if I if I have made it this far then I've got one more left to go so <laughs> not long now and it sounds like you're just so close I mean, you said that, you know, the clinical aspect, it wasn't really covering anything that you weren't unfamiliar with. But has there been any aspect of the process that you didn't expect or that's taken you by surprise? Mm, I feel like the exams are fair. Um, I just believe that it is very competitive. Um, They don't host the exams very regularly, which is something that I was that did come to me by surprise because it's been a lot longer than I thought it would. Um, And now having the obstacle of COVID as well, that's kind of delayed the process too. So that was unexpected for everyone, to be honest. Um, But in terms of uh, also the financial aspect as well, um, I've spent a lot of money on doing prep courses and and the exams itself aren't very... um, affordable either they're pretty expensive too so um I guess that's one of the things main thing was the finance so talk to me about the cost I mean they said that you've got prep courses you've got the cost of the exam I mean is that just is that all it takes or are there additional costs that you hadn't perhaps foreseen additional costs were things like um I did know that I had to invest in prep courses because a lot of people that I spoke to there said that doing a prep course kind of eases you into it, kind of guides you exactly what you need to know for the exam, which I'm glad I invested in because if I didn't do a prep course, for me, even though I know people that have done it without prep courses, but for me, I feel like I needed that little bit of guidance and um, knowing exactly what I needed to do in, in order to pass these exams. Um, but in terms of um, other things that I didn't know I needed to pay for was so the last exam which I'm preparing for right now is the practical exam It's called the assessment of clinical skills Um, it's held over two days and we actually need to provide our own equipment so we aren't we're basically given like the dental unit and like the head and the mannequin but in terms of the actual materials, in the hand pieces, the um, anything that you use for like a temporary crown, composite, amalgam, all the materials you need to provide yourself. Um, so obviously that is a big uh, cost too. And things add up and I'm working on plastic teeth and we know how expensive plastic teeth can be as well. So every time I drill a tooth, I'm like, oh no, that's like, six dollars gone um but yeah it's it does it does add up um so for anybody that is thinking of doing a similar uh, um, process what do you think is the average cost that it takes to convert your UK degree to the Canadian one so there's two ways of going about it I went through the exam route um so for the exams you're looking at probably around 50 also 50k um that's probably fifty thousand dollars so you're looking at a little bit in terms of pounds you're looking probably around 30 40 thousand roughly um 
So that's something that I didn't really know of to begin with, um, but that's possibly the amount I've spent so far. I, don't, I can't put the exact figure on it right now. Um, but there's another way around it too. If you didn't do the exams, you do the first exam and then you go through the university route. University route is a lot more expensive because um, if you're not a permanent resident of Canada, you'd have to pay the international fees. So you're looking at probably around 100K for the exam route. I mean, for the university route, if you wanted to go around that route. I mean, that's a, a really significant investment. I'm guessing it's not the sort of investment that you would make if you don't have long-term plans to stay and work in that country. And exactly. in terms of you trying to obviously recuperate some of that cost, I mean, is there any difference between dentist salaries in Canada to how it compares with the UK? In terms of the actual salary, uh, we don't have the National Health Service in Canada, so everything is private. Um, so the fees are slightly more for dental procedures here in comparison. We don't have a banding system. It's fee per item based. So it's it, the system is different. It works a little bit different. Um, at the moment, um, to help pay for these exams, you are able to get student loans and things like that. Um, and also I'm working as a part-time assistant. So it's a bit demoralizing, obviously, working as a dentist in the UK and now moving to a different country and you're like, oh, okay, I can't practice, but I can, I can still feel like my passion is still there. I don't want to do another career outside of dentistry. I wanted to stay within the dental industry. Um, so working as an assistant at the moment, um, it's pretty helpful because you're, you're working in a dental field you kind of understand the system. You know, you, people have insurance, medical insurance, dental insurance, things that I didn't really know about in the UK where what I'm learning right now is on the job. Um, and being a dentist, you learn everything hands-on. So I find that working as an assistant, they do a lot of hands-on um, things. Like I take, uh, I'm able to take radiographs as a certified dental assistant here. Um, I can do impressions and things like that, which I don't find that is as common in the UK. And um, it's good for me because I'm still keeping my hands busy. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, there's clearly cultural differences in the way that different countries practice dentistry, even though it's essentially you know, the same skill and the same job. And there are obviously significant financial sacrifices and sacrifices that you've made making that leap and deciding to go and work in a country where see your degree isn't accredited. But what about leaving clinical dentistry? Rachel, did you find that there were any financial or other sacrifices as you embarked upon a new career? So I made that decision that, right, in 2015, I was going to actively now work to move away from clinical dentistry and I really had to dedicate some time to that. So I was working at that point four days a week. So probably there was that sacrifice. Also, you are, as an associate, you come out of your vocational training and you are on a very good salary from a young age. When I was looking at different options, 
I had made the decision that I would be willing to pursue other options and potentially take a pay cut if it meant that it could propel me into something else in the future. And I think overall, the whole process made me really redefine what I thought success was. Because often we look at success and we think job title and salary. Whereas going through that process, it made me realize that there's so much more to it. Sure. And I believe now I'm more successful than I was then. And I take how happy I am into consideration when I, when I talk about success. I think certainly the way that we define success probably changes as we get older. And it seems quite linear when we're undergraduates that you qualify and then, well, hey, you know, you've, you've, you've become a dentist, that's success. And actually, for me, when I qualified, it was the, one of the biggest anticlimaxes ever. You realise that it's, it's just the beginning um, of a really long pathway. And um, so I think that's, that's fascinating. It's, it's interesting what you were saying about um, the pay and foundation training. Um, I mean, we know that foundation training is one of the highest paid training salaries within the NHS. And then, as you said, there's often a significant jump in earnings to an associate. So although those earnings can plateau, I mean, you're often earning a very high salary at quite a young age. And so I can understand how that can, for many people, that could be hard to walk away from. But Adam, you left the UK after being an associate. So you'd had done your foundation training here in the UK. Does Canada have a similar process to foundation training? No, they don't. And that's something that I did really um, um, was a little bit shocked by, actually, because I found my foundation training the most helpful year coming out of university, not knowing how the business side of dentistry works. Um, I was very unfortunate to have a um, have really helpful trainers um, that helped guided me straight from coming out of university as a dental student and now working in real life dentistry and that transition. Um, they really helped me with that. It was in my hometown of Essex and that's where I met you, Andrew, as well. <laughs> that's where you were a TPD at the time. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed that year. And I feel like that's something that's always going to stick by me because um, I still come to them for advice whenever I need anything. Like I'm just like, oh, if I send a picture of my prep and I'm like, oh, do you think this is good enough? Or do you think I need to adjust the taper a little bit more? So it's really helpful having um, having that guidance um, and still staying in touch with them. So I found that really benef- beneficial. I think that's great to hear how you know, that experience has benefited you and, and clearly still is. And the fact that you're still in touch from your trainers and, and getting support from them. And it just goes to show how privileged we are in the UK to benefit from that system. Rachel, we've talked about transferable skills, but how else do you think going through this process has benefited you and your working life? I think it's made me... Two things. First of all, really trust my gut. When I look back and you asked me um, earlier about how long I'd probably been sitting on the decision for, for a long time, I was, I suppose, ignoring what my gut was telling me, which was this probably isn't the right career path for you. And the reason I was doing that, I think, is I was probably leading too much with my head 
I'm not saying we should always make decisions on a whim, but certainly for me, it probably gone on for quite a while. And then the other big one is it's made me just not fear failure. And I think a, like a fear of failure can just hold us back in so many ways. But for me to now, and it, I, I wasn't able to do this when I first left dentistry, but for me to now to be able to confidently say, I failed at that and I've learned more from that than I have done any success, like has just really benefited me. I think that's really interesting, especially when you were saying about having a fear of failure and then being able to reflect and learn and grow from that failure. Um, did you feel when you knew the clinical dentistry wasn't right for you, did you feel that there were any feelings of failure that were associated with that? Or did you worry about telling people that that was the way that you felt? Yes, definitely to both. So 100% I was scared of, of failing at dentistry. And then I was also concerned with how other people would perceive that change. And I suppose now I talk in a position where we're five and a half years on from it and I'm very able to, I suppose, handle those questions and talk openly about it. But I definitely wasn't confident enough at, at that time or I hadn't gone through the process to be able to maybe decide completely how I felt. And so having other people almost weigh in on that decision or have an opinion on it early on, I felt quite challenging, to be honest. And I suppose, I think sometimes we really overcomplicate things, whereas in reality, if we just simplify it, all that I really wanted was to not be in the career that I chose when I was 17. And actually, when we simplify it to that, like, of course, that's okay. I think that's such an important point and something that probably many people haven't really thought about it in that way. And I, th I think we do as dentists commit to our profession from a very young age here in the UK. I mean, it's certainly younger than, say, in Canada, where you do a degree prior to starting your dental degree. Is that right, Anam? One of the other differences between a dental degree in the UK and Canada is that we actually have the privilege of coming straight from high school, doing um, A-levels and going straight into university for five years and graduating as a dentist as early as 23, 24. Whereas in Canada, they have to do high school, they do college, and then they do an undergraduate degree in kind of like a science-y field. And then after completing an undergraduate degree, then they go into dentistry. And I think, you know, although dentistry does provide us all with a tremendous amount of flexibility and opportunity, I mean, the fact that we do often commit to it at such a young age compared to in other countries, I think sometimes we forget that, you know, our passions and our interests do develop over time and actually they might change and that's okay. Um, Rachel, now that you've met other people that have been on a similar journey and you've shown such courage to take that leap what would you say to anyone who's hearing your story and relates to your experience I think well first of all like we've said it's fine to feel that way you're a different person to who you were when when you were 17 and you chose this path but also just to take some time out and to really 
just have a good think and do some reflection and is it a bad day that you're having is it a bad week or a bad month or actually is it something more than that and I would always say is there a way that that you can make clinical dentistry work for you for me there wasn't but is it something that you could do part-time and you could have something that you build up on the side that potentially is is a hobby that turns into a full-time job and then the balance shifts. And then the, the other big thing is to put, to put the work in almost and to get some professional help. And that could look different for everybody. That could be a therapist. That could be a life coach. For me, it, it was a careers advisor. But what that did was it you know, the investment that you make in yourself will be the best investment that you ever make. But also it really gave me some clear, defined timelines and some real tangible goals. And I don't think I would have taken that leap had I not had that, I suppose, sort of time frame associated with it. That sounds like that's absolutely vital if you're going to make such a big step. And Anna, what would be your advice to anyone that wants the experience of working abroad? I would say um, just make sure you do your homework. Um, understand the obstacles that you probably will face if you wanted to practice in a different country. Um, for me, I would say Canada is a little bit difficult for people um, transferring from the UK. Um, my situation was a little bit different due to personal reasons, but I find that um, the investment that I've done so far in my career, it's very difficult to kind of move back. It's not something that you can kind of just do for a year or two years and be like, okay, I go and I want to. I just want to work abroad for a little while. I just want to get um, explore a new culture, things like that. I don't think Canada is the way to go because I feel like it's a lifelong decision something that you'd want to invest in for a long period of time, not for a short period of time. Um, look into other countries such as Australia, New Zealand, where your degree may be accredited. I think that would be something more beneficial for people if that's something that they want to consider and do it for a year or two years and come back to the UK. I, th I think that's really sensible advice. And I think you've both shown a tremendous amount of courage making the leaps that you have. And it's really reassuring um, to see the versatility of a dental degree as demonstrated by you both. I mean, the opportunity to work abroad or do something completely different really is there if you want it. And as dentists, we do have so many transferable skills that perhaps we're not even always aware of. It's particularly gratifying to hear that after difficult experiences, you've both managed to find such new and exciting opportunities outside of the UK clinical dentistry, for which I completely commend you. And that brings this episode to an end. Thank you to my guests, Rachel Hart and Anam Raza. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you so much for having us. I wish you both all the very best for your very exciting futures. This is Chairside, Conversations on Careers in Dentistry, a podcast for the British Dental Association. If you like this episode, please check out the others in this series. And to find your perfect job in dentistry, head over to bdjjobs.com.